in Western Hills. Glad you're here to worship with us this morning. Let's stand and let's sing together. everything that we are and we lay it at your feet today. God, we bring our joy, but we also bring our sorrow and our pain and we lay it at your feet today. 
because you alone are worthy and you alone are good. Let's sing of his goodness this morning.
guys can have your seats. I was thinking about my years as a public school teacher in elementary school. And when I started in 2001, we had a school administrator, a school psychologist, a social worker that maybe came every other week, a school nurse, a special education teacher, and some really great paras. Last year in May when I retired, we had a school psychologist, a school social worker that was full-time, two special education teachers, our school counselor, our school nurse, two administrators, and a bunch of great parents. So this kind of just shows you the change through the years in kids' mental health. So from those professionals, I have learned so, so much, but maybe even more from the parents and kids themselves. Like take Greg's mom, for instance. She was known as a powerhouse in our school because she was such an advocate for her son. So when I saw his name on my roster, I was shaking in my boots just a little bit. And so when I first met her, she comes up to me and she says, hi, I'm Greg's mom. And she holds up this giant box of number two sharpened pencils. And I'm salivating just a little bit because teachers love number two sharpened pencils. But then she says, these are for Greg. And then she holds up this mug and it's like filled to the rim with her Hershey's chocolate kisses and she says I heard you like coffee and Hershey's kisses and this is for you and you're gonna need it and she was so right that kid wore me out but I love love loved that kid he was so interesting and he had a huge heart and he was always sharing with me what he learned on nature channels and I bonded with his mom because true to her word she communicated with me and strategized with me and she kept my mug filled with coffee and chocolates and one of the main things I learned is that kids cannot verbalize what they're feeling inside and even more than that, they don't know if everybody else feels this way. Maybe this is just how it is. So instead, it comes out sometimes in screaming, or it comes out in hoodies over their heads where they seem to be trying to be invisible. And in Greg's case, a broken heart revealed itself in a desk full of broken pencils. So now you know why Greg's mom brought me that big giant box of broken pencils. All of us as parents deal with a lot of difficulty with our children. But something we need to understand is that for these parents dealing with mental health and their children, it's not the same. They might be dealing with 24-hour suicide watch during a season, or they might be dealing with 24-hour protection watch where they're trying to make sure one of their children doesn't harm another of their children. The second thing is, in everything we've learned about chemical balance and genetics and all of that, they still feel the blame and shame game. And we need, as the church, to be a louder voice in their ear that tells them otherwise. Third thing I wanna say is, they need us to be willing to throw out all the parenting books, because kids are unique and individual, and we need to use any and all of the tools in our toolbox to stand with these parents, whether it be therapy, medication, different ways to approach situations or learning. We need to stand with them and let them know that we are willing to look at their child as a unique individual. Fourth thing I would want to share is that when you're a parent dealing with a child that's struggling in some way, sometimes you're made to feel or you feel like a helicopter parent or an overbearing parent. It is a very hard balance for a parent. The fifth thing I think is the most heart-wrenching for me is that these parents get very little respite. 
They don't have a babysitter list hanging on their fridge. They often can't leave their children with a trusted family member, let alone a teenager. So sometimes these parents are exhausted, just absolutely exhausted. What's my role? What does Jesus lead me to do for kids in my church? To quote a wise and famous pastor, we pray like crazy because when we pray, we've entered into a conversation with God about something specific in which he intends to respond and give us some action steps. The second thing I wanna say is that if you're out there and you're listening now and you're struggling with a child who's dealing with mental health, we wanna get you in a connect group. It's just too hard to carry a heavy load by yourself. And we wanna be the arms and legs and heart of Jesus in your life. And then I just cycle back around to the same thing as we pray like crazy to the Father who loves these children and fearfully and wonderfully made them. And it's He who will show us and teach us how we love like Jesus. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with who that is, that, that is Karen Manor, and she is our children's minister, and she is a gem. Uh, she, she is absolutely, um, I don't know what we're paying her, but it needs to be more than that. Okay, um, anyway, so that's a, that's a really great start. Uh, before I introduce our guests this morning, I got two quick announcements I need to make. Um, Tomorrow, for many of you, reality sets in. Spring break is over. I'm sorry, but I'm here to help you because tomorrow night is lead night, and so you can get a big honking dose of encouragement. Uh, that's 6.30 here. If you're serving any place, you're kind of familiar with what it is. We get together, we learn together, we eat together. Uh, and then uh, we kind of we encourage one another. Starts at 6.30, we got some food, we got childcare for you. If you need some childcare, drop us an email, do that. And then the second thing is next Sunday, we are doing a baptism. And so we've got a couple of folks lined up to be baptized. And um, I just wanted to make an invitation. You'll be getting some communication this week of if you've made a decision to follow Jesus in the last few months, we'd, we'd love to... We love to dunk you. Um, it's a public statement of what Jesus has already done in your life. Or if you've been following Jesus for a while and you just kind of like, I just never, I just never got to it. Why do I need to do it? We'd love to have that conversation with you. And maybe, maybe this coming Sunday will be Baptism Sunday for you. It'd be a great conversation we'd love to have with you. So those are the two things I want to make sure I put in front of you. So. Allow me to introduce my friends. So, Becca and Corey, come on up. I have with us this morning <coughs> uh, two counselors from Christ First Counseling Center. The first uh, individual I want to introduce you is Becca Livgren. And so she is here, and we're glad. And you know what I'm going to say. I know. You have a Led Zeppelin quote on your about page. On your, do you, obviously, you know oh, this because yeah. it's like, so the quote yeah, I'm is... I'm surprised I got it by him. You didn't run it by Corey? Yeah, this is an awkward employee-employer moment. Um, so tell us the quote. So the quote is from Stairway to Heaven. Um, and it's, there are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. And that... You do not look old so enough good. to appreciate Led Zeppelin. It's on my bio. I appreciate so, it. Okay. All right. So Led Zeppelin... All right. Yep. I'm coming to you. Uh, and then, of course, Corey. All right, now, anyway, uh, 
No, this is Dr. Corey Slim. He is the, your official title is executive director. And all this time I have been, I, I'm sorry. Like I didn't know you were that important. Well, I, neither did I. <laughs> um, uh, I have known Corey for a long time. And uh, you have been massively helpful to me, uh, both personally and when we first went through our mental health series a couple of years ago under the broom tree. I know that that whole series was on your whiteboard in your office as we just kind of threw stuff up on the wall and saw what that was fun. Remember, that was fun. Um, and you've been just a massive help um, behind the scenes, but, but uh, no longer. So thank you for this morning. Thank you for, for doing this. Um, let's jump in here because we got some questions uh, we want to get to. Um, and I want to start with this question. Um, why do you want to be involved? Like churches typically don't talk about mental health. That's, that's kind of like one subject that eh, we're not going to touch that. Uh, we've dove into this. This is the second time, but with two other churches, Grace Point and Countryside this time. Um, is that important? Why would you want to be involved in something like that? What should the church be saying about stuff like this? Like, let, let's start with that question. Yeah, so I got asked to do this and, of course, was very excited um, for the reason that you said, right? That a lot of churches, we just don't talk about it. Um, a lot of times, I think mental illness, mental health uh, specifically has been seen as, you know, you, that's kind of something we're just going to push under the rug, right? We have Jesus, we can pray, we can do all that in isolation alone, right? But that's, that's honestly where the enemy likes us to be, is okay. alone, isolation, right? Um, and so being able to bring some stuff out into the light um, and really just talk about it together is super important. Okay. I, would, I love that. Uh, the other thing I would add is just you know, we can't hire enough therapists and build enough buildings if we're not truly being uh, the church and loving on folks. And uh, to be able to understand uh, mental health issues, everything from depression, anxiety, to abuse, trauma, um, the gamut. One out of every six adults will go through a debilitating mental health issue at some point in their life. One out of every six. So you guys can count around, you know, and, but one out of every six. And so you think about that, it's rampant, not just, it doesn't stop at our doors. It's right. here, and I think that by uniquely integrating theory and theology, I think we can provide some true hope and healing. Gotcha. Um, I, we'll start with some questions, probably the one we got. So we asked folks to text in some questions, email some questions to ask, and probably we got three that, that just kind of rose to the top. And so the first one is this. If I trust God, why am I struggling with anxiety? Okay. And the handoff. Okay. <laughs> so I think we, we look at it, and I, I know we talked a little bit in the first service about sanctification and the big church word meaning that we look at how we are being made into his image, right? It is not a static point. We are not... Um, Baptized, we're not, hey, we're going to pray the prayer and become Christians, and then we're fully sanctified. It doesn't work like that. We are in the process of being. We're in the process of being sanctified. And so knowing that um, we have to look at um, not just 
what we're going through, but most of us suffer from the fallen brokenness of the world. I think we're all jacked up in one way or another, right? <laughs> right? And I tell you that none of us are any smarter or dumber or better or worse than anybody else in the room. Some of you guys this morning may have come from a fight you had with your kids on the way to church. Some, I mean, not that that happens in this church. Some of you may have had an argument with your spouse this morning, right? Um, I tell you that we're all in the process of becoming who he uniquely created us to be. And that journey takes not just our own self in isolation, but transformation, that process of becoming, is intended to be with another alongside. And sometimes that another alongside is uniquely a specialist, a therapist to walk you through some of the deeper waters, maybe some of the darker things, or sometimes it's just for improvement of saying, hey, this is who we are. But in nowhere does it say that because you now have Christ as your um, vision for your lens for how you see the world, that may give you a new operating system, but that doesn't eradicate all of the jacked up things that come with our brokenness. Gotcha. All right? So. That's good. Yeah. Um, you want to add to that? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> if I can remember what I was going to say. Um, with, you know, being a Christian, right, um, we do have access to Jesus, which is amazing because he became flesh, right? So that means that he was fully God and fully human, which means that he experienced the whole array of human emotions that we have. So we, we, with Jesus, right, we have a place to go. We have a God who listens and understands exactly what, we've, what we're going through, what we've been through um, for a source, and that's really amazing. Yeah. Um, the second one. If I trust God, I shouldn't need medication to help me, right? <laughs> so what, I know that's a, it has been a hot button, particularly in faith communities of what role does medication play? What role should we, what, how should we view, um, you know, psychiatric medications and, and, and that kind of thing? Well, I, I loved what Karen yeah. said, Karen. That was phenomenal. We probably could have left after watching your video this yep. morning and been fulfilled. That was really good. Um, I think we have learned a lot about DNA. We've learned a lot about genetics and chemistry and its influence on mental health. And, you know, we are really, um, I guess, lacking sometimes in the church about seeing what does God find important about us? Well, he, we're in his image. So we have to think about we are physically, and that covers all of the brain chemistry, all the genetics, and we have to look at, gosh, how do we get best in that? And in this area of trying to figure out how do we grow in each one of those areas, I, nobody would bat an eye at saying, hey, I have diabetes, and I'm going to get medication. Nobody would say anything about that. They would probably ask you why it taken you so long to address it, mm -hmm. right? But tell them you have bipolar disorder and I'm gonna get medication, you know, and you may see them, okay, I'll pray for you, I'm going the other direction, yeah. right? <laughs> Unfortunately, because I think we get wigged out when we don't understand things. 
and we've done a poor job, myself included, of just empowering people through knowing what brain chemistry does and how it needs to be addressed. And um, medication can be a great mode to get, whether it's your thyroid, um, your pituitary, either one of those being out of balance can impact your mental health in a significant way. And so we have to look at how our physical um, health is impacting our mental health. To be able to look at, you know, gosh, how do we walk alongside of people to help them to get to help? Sometimes it's medication, but sometimes it's great connect groups. Sometimes it's through community of saying, I'm not just going to pray for you, but I want to do something tangible with you to help through this difficult life circumstance. So, Gotcha. Yeah. I like to use a lot of visuals. Um, so one visual that I have, especially with medication, right, is that... Um, with mental illness, right? If we get to the point where, okay, maybe we should get some medication to help us, right? It's, it's almost like we're in this pit, right? And there's this huge wall and we can't, we can't climb out of it ourselves, right? And so we're just down there. And a lot of times I like to think of medication as someone just lowering a ladder to you to help you crawl up, gotcha. to help you get out of that spot. That's a great picture. Yeah. Um, third question. My spouse deals with anxiety. What are some practical ways I can help him or her? A lot of times, um, specifically with anxiety, right, we, or just arguments in general, right, we try to solve for that in the midst of what is going on, right? So if there's a big fight or if there's a panic attack or something, right, then um, we try to do the groundwork in that moment, and most of the time, it works that goes real better. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it works a lot better if we can talk about it during the calm. Gotcha. Right. So we can set some ground rules. Right. It's super important to help um, your spouse know your triggers. Right. So that if there's something that they're doing and they can, in love, stop, then great. <laughs> that can be useful. Right. Um, helping you with breathing throughout the anxiety, right? Um, okay. Last time, Corey had mentioned boundaries, which is a really, really, really important thing, too. Um, yeah, so let's pick on Corey a little bit. Sounds um, good. Uh, uh, practical things to, to navigate when, when you're in a close relationship like this. Um, and you did mention boundaries. Walk us through what you meant by that. Um, I mentioned last session that just because you have anxiety or any mental health condition doesn't give you permission to be a jerk. And, you know, it's hard when you have a mental health issue, depression, you know, anxiety, bipolar, um, many different forms of addiction or trauma. But yet we have to take that on and say, what am I going to do to work through this? And I'm not going to take it out on other people. And so to be able to say, what are the boundaries or how are we going to uphold those? It's exhausting being around people with anxiety and depression. It can be, right? You know, as Henry Nouwen one time said, it's like, you know, we're two people trying to find connection and we're all broken and jacked up. And we're like this, trying to find that connection but when there's mental health involved, then it's hard to make those connections be stabilized. And the more we try, the more we kind of bang our heads against the wall and it wears you out. 
And so to be able to invite people in to be able to say, what are realistic boundaries and how do we get help for our family? Not just the person with depression, anxiety, or whatever disorder, but for the other person, for the spouse. Yep. As one gentleman said, my wife has severe depression, but who's here to help me? You know? And I tell you that it is so critical to remember them. Um, not just so that you can commiserate and vent, that's helpful at times, but to be able to say, how do we support them and give them the energy that it takes to do the things that they do every day, every day. And whether that means taking them coffee or food, not just saying, hey, we're gonna pray for you, right? And I was a little triggered last time, so if you get a chance to watch that video, it's kind of <laughs> funny. But, um, well, no, let's go down that road, because you have a phrase that, like, I, you're one of the most stable people I know, but this phrase sends you over the edge. Yeah, it just it rocked me last time, sorry, but um, <laughs> I wish if I could eradicate any response from people, it would be this. I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry to hear that. I wish we could eradicate that. When people tell us hard things, stop telling people that. Because what does it convey? It conveys that we are put in an awkward position. We are the ones that are dealing with difficulty because of your struggle. I am somehow inconvenienced by having to hear of your life stressors. And I'm really sorry about that. Right? I've got other things that I need to worry about. So I'm sorry to hear about your loss. I'm sorry to hear about your, you know, trouble with your kids, your husband, your wife. I'm sorry to hear that. If we're coming with the understanding that we're bringing Jesus to people, to connect with the Jesus within them, we're not sorry to hear what they're going through. That is a welcome invitation into their lives to provide compassion and hope and healing to their life. Not, I'm sorry to hear. And yeah, I was a little triggered last time. So, <laughs> but I think something instead that we could say, if you're just going, what do I say? An option, just one of many options would be, I'm sorry that this is happening. Here are some things that maybe I could do to help. Could I bring a meal? Could I do this? Could I help with that? Instead of just saying, hey, I'll pray for you and kind of I need to exit stage right as quickly as possible, right? Because I'm so inconvenienced by having to hear of your trouble. But we want to get ingrained. We want to get into people's lives to have transformation happen within us and within the relationship with others. Amen? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm, let's, let's jump off this point because um, we do need others on this journey and not necessarily professionals, right? Um, and, and so I'm a, I need community. I need, and we call them connect groups here, but I need folks to help walk through life with. But I'll also be the first to admit that those groups have been the source of both incredible hope and encouragement, and they have also been the source of, I am never coming back to church ever, ever, ever again, right? I mean, so I mean, I've had, I've had both of these extreme experiences of being in a community, small group communities, 
where it's like, the, like no, like not just no, but anyway, I mean, the other no. Like, I mean, it's like, no, I'm not ever, I'm not ever walking back into that because it's not safe, it's hurtful, it's damaging. But then I've also had the other experience of this is great. What, what's the difference? What, what can we do, those of us that are in these spaces, what, what can we do to make these spaces safe, to be redemptive and not, and not shameful and, and just putting more weight and more darkness on people? Can I start? Sure, yeah. Um, I will say that the reason why that statement, I'm going to go back to this. He wanted me to jump off. I'm not ready to move on yet. Still dealing with it. No. Um, But guys, the reason why I know how devastating that is, is because I said that to somebody and saw their response. I was a brand new therapist and I wanted to be compassionate and to be in their world. And they were like, I'm sorry, this is so difficult for you. And I went... I mean, it just rocked my world right there 20-some years ago, but I've never forgotten the look on their face when I said, I'm sorry to hear that. Anyway, so I'll move on now. Maybe. Um, do we need to have a... Do we, we need to have... Well, this afternoon. Yeah. Okay. But the question again, no, I'm When we think about the things that we can do to help connect groups be safe, I think really connect groups are about hospitality, are they not? And I love what um, Nowen and many other authors and theologians have talked about that, that hospitality is one of the greatest ways that we bring Jesus into the lives of other people. Um, first, we have to make space in our own minds, in our own lives to have hospitality. Hospitality. Words are hard. Mm-hmm. That we can have hospitality for the Father. If we ourselves can't have hospitality with the Father, we can't have hospitality with anybody else. Mm. If we can't have it with him, we can't have it with anybody else. Um, We have to also acknowledge, the second thing, is that everybody that we connect with is broken. Mm. Everybody that we connect with is broken including ourselves. So we have to think about that in that context, that just like the song said, we are there for a purpose, for a reason, right? And our brokenness coming into the lives of broken people with other people that are also broken, then we aren't going to be judging them and trying to make their lives heck just because they're going through stress or to try to make them feel like, hey, maybe they shouldn't have come tonight because they have too much stress in their lives. Or maybe they shouldn't bring their kid to church because their kid is too messed up, right? Mm -hmm. But maybe we see it and say, I'm glad that they're here because we're in this together. That we're in this together. And doing that, I think, adds safety for ourselves in the journey that we ourselves are on and continually on, but also for others to join us in that. And we look for opportunities to bring that hospitality forward. Gotcha. (laughs) One thing that I was going to say is, you know, to your point of being hurt by a group and like, I'm not coming back, right? That's exactly where the enemy wants us, right? He wants us not looking for new. Okay. Yeah. And and the, the point is, right, is that it takes a lot of courage to go back to a group after you've been hurt. It takes a lot of courage to go back and try again, right? And sometimes those issues that we brought to the first group, those things we've been struggling with, they're not, they haven't changed, 
right? And so we, we, have, we have confirmation that before when we shared, we got hurt, right? Um, and so to Corey's point, being very hospitable to the people who are coming and sharing, right? Because sometimes our burdens are really heavy um, and being able to team up with one another um, and help share those burdens, right? It's, it's really a gift. But is oh, there... I'm going to interrupt you for just a second. Of Can course. I do that? Uh, sure. I haven't made fun of you yet, but that's fine. So, <laughs> not yet. He added yet. Yes. But I, I love the point because it's, you know, what are we bringing into the group when we're trying to look at what is the overarching goal? This isn't a fellowship time right, to just be together and eat. We can eat with anybody. We can be together and, and do that with anybody. Connect groups and small groups are intended to be life together at a deep mm-hmm. level. You know, for what outcome? But there is a tension here because... Yeah, yeah. But what is the outcome that we're looking for in small group life? Well, I think the outcome... No, I agree with the outcome. Yeah, yeah. What, I'm, what I'm saying is, is that, you know, theory and reality don't always match up. Yeah. And so... I, I, what, what I don't want to happen is someone get into these spaces mm-hmm. and they get an unhealthy space, yeah. but then they've got that, that mantra in their brain of, yeah. I've got to stay in this unhealthy space. Mm-hmm. Like, I've got to stay here because I know I need this. I know it's community. I know Dr. Corey said this. I know Becca said this. I know Grant said this. So I should just keep getting hurt. So yeah. I should just keep yeah. showing up and getting hurt. I don't think that's, I mean, that's I know, not, I know no. you guys don't feel yeah. that way, but I, I want to make sure we're clear is that it's not, you keep showing up and banging your head against the wall in that particular space. Correct. It's let's go find a healthy space because we know healthy spaces do, do exist. exist. Absolutely. That, I think that's the point. That's the tension is that, you know, even as a pastor and, you know, you have all these groups, they're not all created equal, mm-hmm. right? They're not, not, not every group as much as I want them to be, is going to be a safe haven for a particular someone with a particular issue. It may not be. And it's interesting when you're a therapist trying to go to a small group, right? (laughs) It becomes like a weekly group therapy, right? (laughs) Um, Not quite, but sometimes. But our intent is It's like being a pastor showing up to a small group too. Yes. And I I think if you're leading small, you're leading any ministry and show up, I mean, it brings a different dynamic but to be able to say, what is the intention of us being here? And I think we have to continually, repetitiously bring that because we are all jacked up. So our sinful flesh does come in and maybe we'll judge or say something harshly. And we do very poorly about trying to learn to repair. And we do very poor at confronting people that aren't kind. And so the unhealthy spaces remain unhealthy, but I think we need to do more to, to make those unhealthy places healthy. I agree. Um, but sometimes it is healthiest for you to move to a different group to be able to find that healthy place yeah. for you and not have to go through all the legwork and energy that it would take to get the group healthy. Uh, right. Because I do think you're right, Becca. I think isolation is that echo chamber that um, Satan wants us in. Mm-hmm. Because then those other voices that sometimes bring truth that bring hope when yeah. as long as, long the as others we, are louder. Yeah. Right. Right. As long as we can keep them away from that, then that's a good spot. So, um, kids, let's talk about kids for a little bit. How, how can we help kids deal with big emotions? Karen kind of walked through a little bit of that in the video. Um, but, but kind of let's dive into that for just a second about how do we help kids deal with big emotions? 
Yeah, so if you've ever had a little kid or babysat a little kid, right, you know that they can go from super chill and fine to through the roof in like one second. It's like, what just happened, right? Um, so as adults, right, as people, guardians over them, parents, whatever, um, it's our job when their emotions get huge to participate in their calm and not the chaos that they bring, right? And Can you repeat that? I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's as adults, it is our job to participate in their calm and not their chaos. So what does that look like? Specifically, that looks like getting eye level with the kids, getting below eye level, right? Really taking some time to listen to them. I know as a parent, right, it's not always the most convenient thing to stop the task that you're doing, cooking supper, whatever it is, to listen to the grievance of your child again, <laughs> again, right? Um, but it, it's so important to be able to do that, to help them, to help model calmness to them, right? Okay, I know maybe I'm not hearing you right, but you don't get to hit me, right? Hitting, yelling, screaming, that, those are not the solutions, right? So really being able to walk with um, the kids through modeling, um, as well as helping to identify emotions for them. Because a lot of times they don't completely understand, I say a lot of times, pretty much always, they don't understand what their bodies are feeling, right? Just like what she was saying in the video. Um, don't understand what's going on. I don't have a name for this, which also makes me feel crazier, right? right? Which adds and amples to it. Um, I'll let you do your brain example because that was good yeah. from last time, but I think we're there now, so. Yeah, yeah I, I would say that we expect young kids to be able to um, process and identify emotions um, probably um, far above the level that they're at, actually mm -hmm. at. And not until you're developmentally at 17 to 19 years old can you identify the emotions that you're going through while simultaneously considering the emotions of another. Interesting. 17 to 19. Now, we all know people in their 40s and 50s that haven't got that yet, right? <laughs> but we... We do know that we put expectations on young children very, very early to manage things. And when we get angry, two main reasons why we get angry, when situations are out of our control and people's behaviors don't meet our expectations, right? So if you would, I, this may sound crazy, we're gonna do an interactional thing mm -hmm. here. It's just us here, so let's just chat. So if you could just put your thumb like this and then wrap it over. This is your brain, okay? Here's your brain stem, all of your um, involuntary functions, your fight, flight, flee, all of the involuntary parts of your body anatomy are happen in your brain stem. That's the first thing that was created. Second is your limbic system. Your limbic system where you know that you're upset, you have feelings, strong feelings, but you don't know why you're having those feelings, you don't know who you're upset at, you just know you're upset. And up here is your, your front part, your prefrontal cortex. And in here is where you have all of your heavy thinking, processing, problem solving, 
all of your ability to use all the skills and education that you have learned through the years, all is stored up here, your memories, your processing, uh, your language center is in your left prefrontal cortex, and your relational capacity is in your right prefrontal cortex. Okay, so once your body interpret something stressful in the environment around you, whether it's a kid, a boss, coworker, a friend, or a loud noise outside, your brain starts to release some one of 200 different stress hormones. And it creates a release because God in his infinite wisdom knew that he didn't want you overthinking something, right? So he had to unhinge our brain. If someone busts through with a pistol right now, I like handguns, but I'm not going to ask them if they got a good deal on their handgun, right? Or where they got ammunition. I'm not going to ask them, right? I'm just concerned about what am I feeling and how do I survive? And so our front part of our brain starts to wave. And the bigger the threat or the stress is, the more that comes unhinged in our brain. And it takes a minimum of 20 minutes before our brain gets back to optimal functioning. Minimum of 20 minutes, right? And so when we look at that, when you have a young kid that they're stressed, whether it's about their particular plate isn't ready for them to use for dinner or you know, their favorite outfit or pajamas are not ready, or it's a teenager that you've taken their their phone away from them for the evening. They're doing this, right? They don't have the ability. All of this is offline. They don't have the problem-solving capacity to resolve it in a rational way, okay? And so if we try to deal with them in an irrational way, by us being stressed in an irrational way, we're waving at each other, right? It's like Dumb and Dumber trying to solve a math problem, <laughs> right? You're just waving at each other. And when we have kids that are difficult, which there are very difficult children out there, and I tell you that I feel for the parents because everybody looks at them like they're doing something wrong, like kids on the spectrum or special needs or just a disruptive kid or a kid with high energy. We look at them like there's something wrong with them. They're disobedient. They're evil little beings because they're not fitting our calm template, right? And then we meet them in their chaos, as she was saying, the chaos and stress, with our chaos and stress, and we create more, right? And we don't want that. We want to model calm and optimal functioning so that they can learn what that looks like from us, okay? That's just a, such a huge and helpful picture um, and that and that goes beyond parenting. I mean, that, that any kind husband, of husband, wife, yeah, any of that. Yeah, coworker or even school as a teacher and, and coaching, all that kind of stuff is is part of that. Um, so let me let me kind of let's let's kind of get to this question because I know we, we want to spend a little bit of time here. Um, Christian counseling, non-Christian counseling. The need for it. What's what? Why the difference? I mean, is there some kind of magic juju that happens with Christian counseling that non-Christian counseling goes to? Walk us through some of that. Go ahead. So, <laughs> the magic juju. Yeah. yeah that's, well, that's a not, technical term. Yeah, scientific for sure. Yeah. Um, no, for that the answer is no. But there is, 
you know, a combination of the two, right? There's a combination of being able to use the gospel in counseling, right? Which um, a lot of Christians would really like that, right? Right. Um, there's also a lot of people who struggle with that aspect of it too, right? So that's not, and I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit to a different question, but um, that's not always like what happens in the sessions, right? We don't sit there and just preach the gospel at you, right? It's relational. Um, but being able to utilize the gospel, being able to um, use the Holy Spirit, right? Invite him in. Yeah. Corey, you've used this imagery a lot, and, and maybe we don't need to spend a ton of time on this, but I, I do want to make sure we at least say it. One of the things that I've heard you say is, is that a really good therapist is going to be listening and using and engaging all of the skills and tools mm -hmm. that, that you learn in school, whether it be you know, probing questions, uh, cognitive skills, and, and, and all that stuff. And as a Christ follower, you have this massive massive help in listening to the Holy Spirit and, and listening to him as he's, as he's interacting in that. Um, and uh, anything you want to add to that picture? Because I've heard you say that in multiple settings, and I just think that's a, that's a really great picture of a, a healthy place of where I think therapy can be. Um, and you listened well. I think you said it well. <laughs> we, you know, we did well with that. Um, but... <laughs> I think we look at theology and theory and blend those two together and kind of listen in stereo to the Holy Spirit as it guides through. Um, and I, I do think that the number one thing for finding a good therapist is someone who really is comfortable in their own skin, that can bring their full self, their full value forward and help you to bring your full value forward. And because it is a cooperative relational journey beyond any other training, anything else, the relationship is the biggest thing. I mean, it's hard enough to share our lives with those people that we have a close relationship with, right? But to have somebody come in your office and after five minutes go, tell me your life story, <laughs> right? Um, you know, we can talk about our businesses. We can talk about, you know, superficial things pretty quickly. But to get into something that is not optimal within us, that isn't best within us, I think takes that relational trust. And you have to be listening, I think, in the Holy Spirit to be able to hear what's really being said and not said mm -hmm. to help guide that path. And not to pronounce, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that. If you just do this, then your life will be great. Follow these three easy steps, you know, pay the waitress on her way out. Yep. You know, you have to be able to connect and then apply the skills through the journey together. So you said the relational equity with, your, with the therapist is the, is the number one thing. And so if, if I'm nervous about seeing a therapist, if I'm nervous about coming in, um, what happens if I don't connect immediately? Like, what happens if I'm like, eh, he's, he's, uh, I mean, he's a nice guy. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Not every therapist you're going to connect with, regardless of how good they are at what they do. And we have to think about it as, you know, even if you go to a primary care physician and you think that primary care person isn't listening in a way that I like best or I don't feel connected, they're not fully hearing me. Um, 
we would probably just call our insurance and get another name, right? And move on. But with a therapist, you're building a relationship. So it does ramp it up a little bit. And be honest, most of us aren't very good at confrontation, right? Like, gosh, this isn't meeting my need. I'm going to have to do something else. Um, we're not very good at saying that. And so being able to say, your therapist isn't going to be upset if you say, hey, I need this process to look like this, or I need more of that. Um, they're not going to be upset with that. And if they can't meet that, then you can either ask them for referrals or you can call your pastor and get referrals, right? There's a lot of great therapists that come in all shapes, sizes, and different approaches to find someone that you fully connect with is so life-giving. Gotcha. You know, just like the Life Connect groups. Yeah. You know, you find what's healthy and connecting for you and to be able to grow in that. Right. So final thoughts on, on this as we've gone through a series on this. We've talked a lot about different things, but, but as, a, as a therapist, as, as counselors, like what would you lay on the table for us as we're walking out of here going, hey, re remember this or, or at least think about this? Like what would you say to us? Uh, one little last bit about the kid stuff that I thought of while we were talking is um, the calm yes is so important. And if we have trauma from our past, if we have trauma from our own childhoods, that can make displaying calm feel unbelievably impossible, right? Especially if yelling is a trigger for you, right? Then your kid yells and it sends you off and you're already in that unhinged spot like Dr. Corey was saying. Um, and just giving yourself grace on that, right? Because oh, okay. yeah, yeah, because we're not perfect parents, um, and just recognizing that you know maybe for you it is time to get some help with some of that, so that you can model um, that for your kids. That's a good word. Yeah, um, and the last little point that I have is um, there's a quote, and I can't pronounce the person's name, but the the quote is the glory of God is you fully alive. Um, and that's what the Lord wants for you. That's, we have freedom in Christ, freedom in Jesus to just be able to live our lives happy and as the way that the Lord intended. Um, and maybe happy is not the right word, but to just live in freedom um, gotcha. for the Lord. Yeah, That's good. I, I think we as adults struggle to even to know what we're thinking and feeling most of the time to get clarity is a struggle. You know, if it's a mist in the pulpit, it's gonna be a storm in the pew. You know, if we have confusion in our own minds, we're gonna be living that confusion out, right? And we're involved in a community that believes in your overall health, your overall health. And so when we're in that belief, we don't have to look at it as, hey, we're doing better on our Christian journey because we're not talking as much at, at Connect Group and we're not talking about our stressors with money. We're not talking about our kids not listening or doing something stupid, right? So we are higher up the, you know, the hierarchy of, of the spiritual maturity scale. That's bunk, right? We're all jacked up. We all got stuff. And I think if we start to look at our journeys as not being determined of success, of how little stress or problems that we have in our world, but how well we're bringing Jesus in the midst of that, how well we're bringing Jesus in the midst of that which we go through in life. I think that's the model of maturity mm -hmm. and to be able to talk through that. And when we see people hurting, 
um, and we see people that we have a relationship with that we think are stressed, overwhelmed, it's just like airport security. If you see something, say something. Hey, I noticed this. Is everything okay? How are you? You know, really? You know? How are you really? Not just give me the flippant response, but how are you? Right? Most people in this room have probably had suicidal thoughts. Most people in this room have probably had depressive or anxious moments. And we as a community can bring so much value and life by speaking Jesus in the midst of that through loving and practical ways, right? Don't wait to address that. And I think there's a process that I started to go through probably five, six years ago that it's just, you know, search me, oh God. I start my day at the end of the day. And I use an app called uh, Reimagining the X-Men. But when I do that, it is, how do I see Jesus in my day, hour by hour? How do I see him? Sometimes I'll ask myself, what emotions did I experience today, hour by hour? Which ones were the hardest to experience? Which ones were the easiest? Then the third question is the hardest. Father, what would you have me do with it tomorrow? Guide me, lead me, and to be able to welcome him into the best of places, but also those parts that we see as the dark places. And that's what I would say. Blessings to you guys. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, as we kind of wrap up the series, I, I just kind of want to revisit a couple of things. One is when Tim and I, um, pastor over at Grace Point, started this series, we, we had a couple of goals that we really wanted to make sure that we hit. And, and I, think, I think we've done it, but I just kind of want to verbalize them just to make sure that, that we're okay. Uh, the first thing is we felt like the church had been silent for way too long on mental health issues and that there were some stigmas, there were some misconceptions about mental health that we felt like we needed to stand in a place and go, you know what, it, it's okay to not be okay. And it's not a sin to wrestle with mental health issues. It's not. And, and that there's real hope and there's real help available um, and that um, healing is possible although healing may look different than what you expect. Healing may be learning processes, learning coping skills, so that when stuff happens, you don't wreck your life with it. You don't, you don't, you don't end up making even worse decisions. Healing may be completely not having to deal with stuff, but, but healing is possible. There's, a, there's, there's hope in those places. And, and I think we've walked through that through those series. Uh, the second thing that we had a goal was that as dark and as complicated as mental health issues can be, uh, I do not believe it has to have the last word and that Christ can sit in these places and give hope and give healing and not in the bluebird, I'm going to sing a song and everything's going to be okay kind of way, but in the gritty garden wrestling with faith kind of way that Jesus models for us in the scriptures of acknowledging that there is trouble, acknowledging that there is hard things, and yet there is a redemptive voice that he brings to those places and, and learning how to listen for that voice and to tune in to that voice. And sometimes we need others to help us hear it, uh, both professional and uh, guides, mentors, uh, friends. And so I feel like those two things we've done 
And the last thing is, a few weeks ago, we talked about fear and how a lot of times, um, sometimes we fight battles that God's already won for us. Like, we, we're like, sometimes we fight and we wrestle with things that God's already spoken. Like, God's already, God's already said something and, and we're, we keep wrestling with an invisible enemy. And one of those things that we talked about was who we are in Christ. Like, once we've said we want to follow Jesus, what he is doing in us, what he is trying to do in us, what he has said about us already. And that's when we looked at those long list of scriptures of who I am in Christ. And, and we were overwhelmed uh, that week with uh, responses from you guys about we, we want, like, I need more of this. I need this. I need this. And so that changed what we're doing next. So the next series that we're doing, kind of coming out of a mental health series, is we're doing a series called Who Am I? And the series is going to be, or Who I Am. I'm sorry, I got the words backwards. We argued all the time about how we were going to do it, and there it is. Uh, it's Who I Am, and it's going to focus on those three big chunks of, of, of verses that we looked at, of I am accepted, I am secure, and I am significant. And all of these are in Christ. And we are these things because of who God is and who he makes us. It's not something that we have to earn. It's not something that we have to work for. It's not something that we have to pray harder. It is something that we have to intentionally experience sometimes, though. And so we're going to walk through that next series. And that starts next Sunday and invite you to take that journey with us. Becca, Corey, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time. It's, it's just, you've been a blessing to us. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then Zan's going to come up and, and do our blessing. So, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the wise words. Uh, Father, I pray that if there was a nugget, if there was something that was said, that you uh, kind of embed those things in our minds. Who, someone somewhere in this room, online, needed one of these little nuggets, needed one of these little phrases. And Father, help them write it down, help them remember it, may it be a, a pivot point for them in their journey with you. We love you and we thank you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, Becca and Corey and Grant. <laughs> uh, hey, God did something in this series, didn't he? I know he did in my life, and I hope he did for you guys as well. And um, if you are a guest of ours, if, if maybe this is your first time or you've just joined us sometime over this last month, we're super glad that you're here. And we want to invite you to come on the journey next with us, wherever that takes us. And it's always an adventure. Um, but we'd love, love, love to know that you are here. And on your chairs, there's a connection card. We would love if you could just take a minute to fill this out. And you can either drop it in the connection kiosk in the back, or better yet, head right back down to the coffee. And we have our welcome table there and we have a little gift for you with some goodies from some of our local businesses of people right here in our, in our church family and we're not going to bug you too much but we would just uh, love to to get your information and, and send you a little bit no, uh, of a note help you figure out how to take your next steps if that's something that you're interested in um, for the rest of us this is also a great way to communicate with us um, grant mentioned lead night coming up tomorrow if you want to register for child care for that uh, for baptisms coming up next week you can fill this out, or again, there's a little QR code here on the front, and just um, put that right into your phone, and you can connect with us that way. We're so glad that you guys are all here, and uh, again, just can't wait to see where God's taking us next. Would you stand with us this morning? <clears throat>
part of living out the reality of Jesus to every person, every place, all the time is, is knowing and realizing that our job is not just here in this room on Sunday morning. In fact, this is where we come to get fueled up to go out those doors and to take that into our world, into our own mission field. And so every week here at Western Hills, we like to read this blessing over one another to remind us and encourage us as we do that. So let's read this together. In Christ, you go nowhere alone. Wherever you go, God is there. Wherever you are, God can work through you. He gives purpose to your being there. Christ who dwells in you has something to do through you where you are. Believe this and go in his grace, love and power. Go be the church. Thank you. 